the Harvard Center for International Developments, or CID as we call it, Beyond COVID podcast. This is a series of conversations with faculty experts on various dimensions of COVID response and recovery. Our goal with these conversations and with CID's Beyond COVID Research Initiative is to use lessons learned and capitalize on innovations sparked by the pandemic to address losses and reimagine global development in the post-COVID era. My name is Devang Narana, and I'm a first-year student at Harvard College and a CID student ambassador. This week, we are joined by CID faculty affiliate, Mr. Tarun Kanna. Professor Kanna is the Georgie Paulo Lehman Professor at the Harvard Business School, the director of the Lakshmi Mittal and Family South Asia Institute at Harvard, and the co-chair of the Lancet Commission's Citizens Commission on Reimagining India's Healthcare System. I'm sitting down with Professor Kanna on February 18, 2022, to discuss his work with the Lancet Citizens Commission and more generally his insights on building resilient and equitable health systems. Professor Kanna, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Devangana. My first question is regarding your recent work with the Lancet Citizens Commission on reimagining India's health system. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about commission's work, as well as the specific areas the commission prioritizes? So the commission's self-assigned mandate is to imagine pathways to universal health care. India's health care is, if one had to be euphemistic, a work in progress. There have been many advances over the past decades, but there are still, as, uh, as the old poem goes, miles and miles to go. It's a very novel effort that was triggered by the Lancet, which is the world's global leading global public health journal, global health journal. And it's chaired by uh, Professor Vikram Patel, who is a psychiatrist at Harvard Medical School, Professor Gagandeep Kang, who is one of the India's leading virologists and a professor at CMC Velour in the south of India, and Kiran Mazumdar Shaw, who is a biotech entrepreneur from India, and I'm the fourth uh, co-chair, so to speak. What's novel about is it is that it's the first attempt, we think, to bring together an extremely broad platform of stakeholders in the health system, each of whom are experts in their own field and who collectively, we believe, must work in concert to address the very severe gaps that have been preventing uh, India from coming anywhere close to universal health care in the nearly 75 years since its uh, independence and formation of the modern nation state. To give you a sense of the diversity, of course, it includes medical practitioners like doctors and uh, surgeons and, uh, and nurses, but also community health workers, academics of all stripes, social scientists, uh, health financiers, insurers, people who are interested in medical devices, uh, just about every possible cross-section of society that will connect to healthcare. And we, we think, as is uh, represented in the name of the commission, uh, we deliberately called it the Lancet Citizens Commission, because one of the things that we hope will distinguish this effort from many prior well-intentioned, but ultimately failed efforts to get to universal healthcare in India, is the fact that we are going to use the voices of the citizenry and the frontline both patients as well as providers of healthcare services, and use them to drive our suggested policymaking agenda, as opposed to a bunch of quote unquote experts sitting in a policy tower and imagining solutions 
that are less likely to pan out in practice. Great. Thank you so much for your detailed explanation of the innovative approaches that the Lancet Commission is using to reinvent India's healthcare system. I was also wondering, how has the Commission's working and programs been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic? So uh, unsurprisingly, well, first of all, COVID is what triggered the formation of the Commission in the first instance. As I mentioned, um, uh, India's healthcare system, uh, like that of many developing countries, uh, but sadly, even worse than many other developing countries of comparable, shall we say, per capita income levels, was already subject to um, massive inequity, shall we say, right? Some people get decent healthcare, even excellent healthcare, but the very vast majority should really be deserving of much better healthcare than, than they currently do. COVID just exacerbated everything as it has in many other countries. It laid bare the fissures that already existed in Indian society, made it clear that those who were disadvantaged were going to get even more disadvantaged not just in the, in, in the extent to which they could benefit from care in dealing with the COVID uh, pandemic, but also associated other healthcare needs that were being affected. It was very clear that it was going to get a lot worse. So we decided, those of us who were the co-chairs, initially Vikram Patel and myself decided that this would be a good opportunity to bring together people and use the fact that there was heightened interest in it to start doing something significant to, to, to start doing something significant on a policymaking front. You know, it was the first time that healthcare was, this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much, was on the front page of the newspaper because it was very clear that poor healthcare resulted in economic malaise, had a real cost to even the short run economic performance of the country. And we had the nation's attention in some ways. Mm-hmm. That was the reason for coming up with it. And the Lancet has never really done something like this before. Lancet mm-hmm. commissions uh, have the potential to be influential. And so we are hopeful that we can contribute something to the conversation uh, as a result. But we were so glad that they were willing to take it on as a major research project. Great, thank you for your response. I was also wondering, in your opinion, what are the key problems in the Indian healthcare system And how is the commission actively trying to prioritize and address them? So there are a lot of problems. Very immediate problem is that we don't spend nearly enough on healthcare. We simply don't, we meaning people in India, the society in India, the government of India does not spend nearly enough on healthcare. As a percentage of per capita GDP, our allocation to healthcare is quite low. Disappointingly, even after COVID, when it became extremely clear that health had a first order economic effect, not just in the long run, but in the immediate here and now, uh, we still did not see any major change in the allocation of aggregate resources towards healthcare. But there is a deeper problem that goes beyond amount of money being channeled towards the health sector. It has to do with the use of the money and its allocation. Far and away, too little money is allocated towards primary health. And most of it is to ex post taking care after symptoms of various conditions have manifested themselves. There's too much cure and too little prevention. And that is a sea change in mindset that needs to come about, not just in, in the patient population, but in the providers also. 
in the insurers, in the education system, in the hospital management system, pretty much across the board, which again goes back to the constitution of the commission in the first instance, where we felt it was really important to have all these perspectives represented. So a summary answer to your very broad and profound question would be not enough money and poor utilization of whatever existing money there is. Great, thank you. Pivoting the conversation to more about the inner workings of the commission, I know that the commission emphasizes participatory engagement with citizens to gain feedback in restructuring India's healthcare system, but what hurdles has the commission faced in garnering, garnering participation and engagement? So I can answer that question at multiple levels. First of all, the commission has been very enthusiastically received and it's heartening that that's the case, even though we've had so many commissions in the past uh, several decades, going back to the 1946 uh, Bohr Commission, which also sought to get universal health care. Uh, and it, like its successor commissions, did not unfortunately manage to achieve it. But despite there being so many past efforts, it was still very well received. The commission itself is best thought of as a platform that, is, that has been put together by the Mithal Institute at Harvard so that different organizations can treat it as a plug and play approach. We welcome anyone to collaborate with us. We have a secretariat, so to speak, in the Mithal Institute office in New Delhi. We have major institutions in India that are each leaders in their own field, Population Health Foundation of India, of course, the different universities, including CMC Bellor, where one of our co-chairs is based, the Indian Institute of Management, you name it. There's uh, dozens and dozens of institutions that are very well regarded, who are all partners with us in this journey. So at that level, it's been extremely well received. At the level of the way the commission works is it's divided into multiple work streams, technology, governance, uh, financing, et cetera, et cetera. Each work stream is led by uh, a couple of uh, commissioners who are experts in their field, and they in turn are engaging with their own ecosystems. I would not be surprised if there are a couple of hundred researchers working on this project in a very decent, centralized fashion. Our, our, our hope is to trigger and catalyze scholarship and research that moves us on this journey. And individual commissioners are free to use the good offices of the commission and the connections of the commission and the modest funding that we bring to bear to launch their own research projects in this general area of moves towards universal healthcare. They're free to publish, they're free to write op-eds, they do podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so at that level also, it has acquired a great deal of traction. In fact, I don't think it would be overkill to say that it is emerging as an important sort of foundation for public health type discussions in India that has not had as much attention as it should have from the standpoint of Indian society. So that, in that sense, you know, our hope is that the platform that is seeded by the Lancet Citizens Commission will outlast the commission itself and will continue to be a convening and aggregating point. So for instance, you know, we do lots of podcasts from the commission, we do lots of webinars, Webinars are extremely well attended. There's a website that's gotten, I don't know, 100,000 hits since it started. There are thousands and thousands of people subscribing to the newsletters. So you can see that it's uh, like a snowball effect, a good snowball effect, aggregating. 
whether it has the desired result, well, I think the jury's out and it will depend on, uh, on the actual report, which is a peer-reviewed report that will be published sometime in 22 to coincide with the 75th uh, anniversary of the, the founding of the modern nation state. And so we will see. Uh, the last question about engagement has to do with the reaction of the citizenry. And the way we're going about this is to commission original data collection at two levels. Uh, there are these so-called district level case studies uh, that are very detailed deep dives into carefully selected uh, districts that can reveal something about the, the possibilities and the perils of trying to move on this journey towards universal health care. Uh, some districts that have done an amazing job in some dimensions, uh, others that have not been so successful, we feel that we can learn from the variation across these. So that's one level of data collection analysis that's being pursued by a subset of the commission members. Separately, we, are, uh, uh, we have also originated data collection for a randomized stratified sample of about 50,000 respondents uh, from various parts of the country, uh, patients and providers to get, if you will, first person responses from people on the front lines of the healthcare system. And in that sense, we hope that the voices of the citizenry, both through the aggregated case studies, but also through literally individual responses to an original survey will inform the recommendations of the commission. Yeah, that sounds awe-inspiring. And the work that the Lancet Commission, Citizens Commission is doing is just so impactful. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about the most notable impacts that this commission has had and what are some of the most prominent successes that the Citizens Commission has had so far in reinventing India's healthcare system? Well, I would say, Devangana, the most, to my mind, the two areas where I think time will show that we have the potential to have a systemic effect on the conversation about public health and universal healthcare. The first is, there's a very inconvenient reality I'm reminded of Al Gore's an inconvenient truth uh, in, in, in the way that healthcare is delivered in India. All the prior commissions, in fact, the rhetoric in India has always been about the public sector being the primary provider uh, of uh, healthcare services to the citizenry. The reality, the facts on the ground are that the, that the private sector is a very large provider of services leaving aside whether the right way to provide healthcare is through the private or public sector, whatever one's ideological dispositions are about uh, the mix of private sector and public sector activity, it's very hard to imagine going from where we are in terms of the healthcare sector in India to where we'd like to be in the decades ahead. It's very hard to imagine that path being forged without there being a conversation where the private sector is as involved as the public sector. The prior commissions of all excluded the private sector. And there is a deep schism and a deep mistrust, mutual distrust between the private and public sector. I think one of the most notable things that will come out of this platform effort, the Lancet Citizens Commission, is for the first time we brought public sector leaders and private sector leaders together in a conversation. What the net result of that will be uh, I don't know. We will have time will tell, but I can report that we've had some very hard conversations in commission deliberations 
when people's ideologies are pretty transparent. Uh, but I'm also happy to report that all these discussions have been carried out in a very respectful way. Not that, not that everybody is in agreement all the time or even most of the time, but at least the conversations are ongoing in a, in a civilized and mature way. And without that, the precondition for healthcare reform is missing. There's another schism in Indian health, which is also worth noting. And that has to do with allopathic medicine, the way we think of modern medicine, if you will, uh, in America or in the West, and traditional systems of healing, Ayurveda, Yunani system, et cetera, which go under the, the, uh, the acronym Ayush, A-Y-U-S-H. There's even a ministry of Ayush care. Think of it as traditional medicine uh, that has existed through the centuries in India. And of course, many countries have traditional medicine systems, China, Latin American countries, Africa, et cetera. These two segments of provision of health care providers in India, the Ayush providers and the allopathic providers, uh, let's just say they don't always talk to each other. They don't always see eye to eye. And again, we have a policymaking apparatus that perhaps historically has tended to prioritize allopathic care and then, quote unquote, the facts on the ground where a very large percentage of the population, particularly the rural population, uh, are availing themselves of traditional remedies to the IU system. So that is another, I, I don't think the commission can take credit for being the first to bring all these together, but we're certainly bringing these perspectives together also. And again, saying that unless we have an atmosphere of mutual respect, we're not going to be able to work together to make this happen. So I think the most systemic effect in time will come from bringing together disparate stakeholders in the whose expertise is needed to move towards universal healthcare. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely believe that collaboration is a key to transforming India's future and particularly relating to health. Now moving on to the broader trajectory in the context of countries in the global south, such as India, in your opinion, what are the most effective responses that you have seen in other developing countries around the world related to COVID-19 mitigation hunger relief, emergency services, and products amidst political instability and or future public health threats? You know, I'm not the right person to respond to that comment, but I'll make one comment. To my mind, I mean, the biggest thing that has come out of COVID is the incredibly optimistic outcome of scientific research. But when you look at the speed with which the new vaccines were developed, particularly the mRNA vaccines that came out of Germany in collaboration with Pfizer and the ones that came out of our own backyard here in Cambridge, Massachusetts with Moderna, I mean, it's an extraordinary achievement. Now, it builds on decades of work before that the public is not always entirely aware of, but there's a solid foundation that's been built bit by bit by bit with a lot of, uh, lot of sweat and toil and a lot of money poured into it uh, particularly by the U.S. Uh, U.S. government in the case of Moderna. That said, the private sector achievement has been extraordinary. And I think that's not lost on the global south. The global south is perfectly aware that it is lacking uh, access uh, to these, to the, to, it's lacking unfettered access, shall we say, to the fruits of these scientific advances. Uh, and that the global south generally does not have the scientific infrastructure to match it uh, in the short to medium term. My hope is that it triggers a realization that you have to invest in science, even in the global south, uh, even if it's in a small way, 
And even if you're not on the cutting edge on whatever scientific endeavor you're pursuing, investing allows you to have what I would refer to as a certain absorptive capacity so that when some scientific advances occurs elsewhere, you're in a position to bring it, bring it home, so to speak, and leverage it and become intelligent users of it. Now, this does happen. India in particular has a pretty robust scientific infrastructure in many fields. I am privileged to play a small role in policymaking in India on the science side. So I'm well aware of the areas where uh, India is fairly advanced, but there are lots of areas where we're not very advanced. Uh, and I think the recognition uh, of that has been, I think in the long run, a useful thing. I think where world society has utterly failed is a predictable area that is inequitable distribution of vaccines in different ways. There's an incredible organization that I'm privileged to know a little bit about, uh, Gavi, the World Vaccine Alliance in Switzerland, headquartered in Switzerland, um, that is dedicated to equitable access to vaccines of all sorts. And it's been around for about 20 plus years, seeded by a bunch of far-sighted philanthropists, far-sighted philanthropists, including Bill Gates. And it does amazing work. And it's tried really... It has done an amazing effort taking, doing something, let me restate that. Uh, it's been pretty amazing at coming up with something called the COVAX facilities. You can look it up, C-O-V-A-X, which is a way of aggregating vaccines of different sorts and coming up with mechanisms to have some degree of distribution. But as a, as a global society, uh, it has to be said, we've done really poorly. Uh, and the cost of that is being visited upon all of us the Delta variant, the one that came in the second wave that was devastating in India, uh, showed up on our shores soon, soon after that. Omicron, uh, wherever it originated, possibly somewhere in Africa, showed up and is just about wrapping up here in the US. There will be more mutations, and that's because too many people remain unvaccinated around the world. And that, of course, is a place where the, uh, where the virus can mutate and go crazy and come up with new and more virulent forms of itself. So that's been the big success is, I think, science base. The big failure, to my mind, is failure of collective action to ensure, not just for moral and humanitarian reasons, but for pretty raw economic reasons to make sure that vaccines are distributed. Great. Thank you so much for such an insightful answer to such a complicated question. And thank you again for engaging in this little super conversation today. You can learn more about the Center for International Development and CID's Beyond COVID initiative at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening and we'll see you back soon.